0: And it was generally a close call. And that was the situation on this day. And the referee was a little seventh grader. And the first first baseman and I were looking down at him, like waiting for the call. And he didn't want to give it. (laughs) And so I just stayed there on the base. And then Mr. Hall said, David, he said, you're out. Oh, okay. So I went and sat down next to Mr. Hall. And Mr. Hall looked at me and he said, that was really good, David. And I looked at him thinking, in what universe is it good to get out? And he said, no, you know, a lot of kids in a close call like that, when they're out, they kind of stomp their feet and they get all grumpy and they sit down all angry. But you took it really well. That was good. Isn't it amazing how well we remember words of encouragement years later? Someone finding grace in uh, a situation that didn't have much grace. This evening, I, I'd like to look at uh, one of my heroes in the New Testament, My really my favorite guy after the Lord Jesus. His name was Barnabas, and he's in Acts 11, if you'll turn with me. And while you're turning, I'll, I'll just introduce myself. Like I said, I'm from California. I I have a lovely wife named Betsy who couldn't be here, and four kids. We were on the mission field from uh, 2000 to 2016. And uh, we've been home for a few years to help our uh, help our church out at Fairhaven Bible Chapel in California and uh, deal with some health issues of our parents, things like that. So that's who I am. And let's go to Acts. And I'm going to be focusing on uh, verses 23 through 25, but I'm going to back up to verse 19 to get, give us some, some context. So Acts 11, verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there was there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. May God bless the reading of his word. So before I talk about Barnabas and What an amazing man he was. I want to talk about what's happening in these chapters in the book of Acts to help us recognize the key role that Barnabas played in this book that the apostle, that not the apostle, but that Luke wrote. And so in these, um, in these chapters, chapters nine through 12 really, we're in a transitional phase. And there are three very important transitions that are happening. And the first is geographical. In Acts 1.8, Jesus told his disciples, um, he said, you will you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So there's the, the geography. The, the book of Acts starts in Jerusalem from chapters one through seven. It's just really centered there as, uh, Peter preaches the gospel of Pentecost and, uh, lots of people come to the Lord and, and there's a big, a disturbance a, a, a lot of movement happening in jerusalem as, as people are finding out about jesus christ the same jesus that had been crucified in jerusalem just about 50 days earlier and so that's the first seven chapters and then um, it's going into other parts of G- judea and samaria and we see people like philip out talking to an ethiopian eunuch and talking to people in samaria and uh, it's about to go to the ends of the earth. We're going to see how does that happen. Barnabas plays a key role. The second transition, the, the gospel is going from the Jews to the Gentiles. We just read that um, there was a scattering in chapter 8 after Stephen had been stoned the Jews are getting really serious about clamping down on this new work that was happening, this this cult in their eyes, uh, people going after Jesus, the Messiah. And so great persecution, so the, the Christians fled, they scattered. And in scattering, they took the gospel with them, and they were sharing, and they were talking the good news about people, but only to Jews alone. Why? Because we're Jews, and the gospel's for the Jews. I'm pretty sure about that. We sing psalms about all of the nations and all that, but that's going to happen later on. The gospel is for the Jews. The Messiah is a Jew. And these uh, these brothers, going from Phoenicia and Cyprus and and going to Antioch, for some reason, I I don't know what came upon them, but they said, you know, we're going to talk to Gentiles also. Because Peter had talked to a Gentile, hadn't he? And that was like the first Gentile that was exposed to the gospel, and they saw blessing. So these Jews went and talked with some some Gentiles, and of course Jesus said it was going to go to the ends of the earth. So that you would think that would include the Gentiles, but so many were just stuck in their Jewish mindset that 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 wasn't going to happen. It's easy, isn't it, for us to get stuck in our um, I think there's a word in sociology or anthropology called ethnocentrism, which really means centered around your own ethnos. We all grow up, the Bible's name for it is just sin, right? Selfishness is normal. We all grow up thinking that we're at the center of our universe. And then as you grow and mature, you you realize that um, mom and dad are not just tools to feed you, (laughs) They have, like, lives of their own, and they, they know these other adults, and then there's a bigger world out there. But we often don't get out of our little group. And here, here in the United States, we're no exception. It's nice to see a diverse group here at Boulevard Bible Chapel. And, of course, we live, you got you have the privilege of living in a vi- very diverse community with many different people groups. But a, a lot of places, it's just, no, it's just me and mine, and that's that's all that we're going to worry about. But these Jews uh, started speaking to some Gentiles. The hand of the Lord was on them. It was pretty exciting. And a church started, a, 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 a group of believers in Antioch started, and it got so big and there was so much happening that it reached the ears of Jerusalem. And so they sent Barnabas. So here we see Barnabas involved in these two changes, geographical, the gospel from Jerusalem to the world, From Jews to Gentiles. All right. And the third we're going to see is the two main players outside of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, the two main players. There's a transition happening right now. Up to now, the main player has been Peter from his preaching at Pentecost to his miracles. He has been the main guy to being placed in jail and then miraculously delivered. He has been the guy. But then in chapter 9, a guy named Saul of Tarsus meets the Lord Jesus. And we're seeing the light shine over onto him, but it hasn't yet. But Barnabas had something to do with that. So let's look at who Barnabas was. What do we know about him before he shows up here in chapter 11? Well, in chapter 4, we find out uh, some important characteristics of Barnabas at the end. First of all, his name wasn't always Barnabas. His name was Joseph. He was a Levite, which means he had a strict, probably a strict religious upbringing, the priestly class of Jews, the Levites. Why was his name changed? Well, it said, verse 36, I'll read 36 and 37 of Acts 4. Now, Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So his name was Joseph, but he was such an encouragement that they changed his name. I don't know how that looked like, but I can just imagine Peter walking down the street one day and seeing Joseph. Hey, Barnabas says, "Hey, Peter, how are you doing?" Peter says, "What's your name?" Uh, you know me, Peter. My name's Joseph. Nope, Barnabas, some encouragement. <laughs> Peter walks away. That's just my sanctified imagination, right? I don't really know how it happened, but there was something about Barnabas that was. So unique and so encouraging, son of consolation, that they changed his name. They, they called him Barnabas. What else do we know from these verses? We know that Barnabas was sold out to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was sold out to his cause because he took everything he had. He took his inheritance and sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The Lord Jesus is still looking for soldiers who are sold out to him. I was just at Camp Horizon. That's why I happened to be in Florida. It's only my second time ever in Florida outside of an airport. And uh, it was wonderful to be at Camp Horizon and just see God working in the lives of young people. I met a young man named Liam. We had a nice conversation. I heard from here. So that was great. Sorry, I lost. Where was I going with that? Um Yeah, so at Camp Horizon, Jesus Christ is looking for people sold out for the gospel. That's where I was going with that. They're looking for Barnabas. They're looking for it here. He's looking for it here in Boulevard Bible Chapel. You have no idea. You really, I cannot. If I could be like Michael Tuttle and get on the table, this is what I would say on the table, all right? Micah's friend of mine, I heard he was down here. I would say, you have no idea how much the Lord can do through one person sold out to him. That was my Micah title imperson- impersonation. It's amazing what God can do through someone sold out to him, and it, does, it can be anybody. It can be anybody, any one person. Just say, "Lord, I'm yours, take me, use me." The world might not see it, but God's watching. He's watching, and he's doing great things. He's doing great things in Florida. He's doing great things in California. He's doing great things across the whole country. I'm encouraged because some people are responding and and selling out for Jesus and not for the world. It's it's the exception, not the rule, but it's happening. Barnabas, they changed his name. He was son of encouragement, and uh, he was sold out. Now we're going to look at four things that he did to be an encourager. And to change his world. Four things that we can do. To be encouragers. And, and change our world. And it starts in, chap, in verse 23. Going back to chapter 11. So you remember. He's in Jerusalem with the apostles. They hear about what? Gentiles coming to Christ. And Antioch. Barnabas. Go take care of it. So he goes. And, and this is what he does. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Three of our four things are right there. If you look closely at that verse, what did he do? He witnessed the grace of God. Now, I want to try to impart how amazing that is for Barnabas to come to this place full of dirty Gentile dogs, and witness the grace of God. Okay? We just read that he was a Levite. He was Jewish. I'm sure the church in Jerusalem, we, we don't know really exactly what it looked like, but it was very Jewish. They had their Sabbath. They had their traditions. They had their washings. They had their dietary laws that... That didn't all just go out the window when Christ came and, and they became followers of him. They were good Jews. Good Jews did not, it, it did not mean for them to leave their Jewishness to be, become Christ followers. They were completed Jews. And so I can't imagine Barnabas coming and seeing this first group of Gentile believers not doing any of the things that he expected them to do. And rejoicing the only reason he rejoiced was he he was able to see past all of that stuff and he was able to see the grace of god at work he was able to you know I, if if this were written of most missionaries today it would say um he went and observed the problems of the church and set about to correct them <laughs> that's what we do you know <laughs> we was like well this is nice but you know You've got this problem over here. There's a brother I talked to. I don't know about his doctrine. And let's, and we just start fixing things. That's what we do. But that's what, not what it says Barnabas did. Barnabas could have done, done that. He could have been a typical guy. He's like, wow, you guys, like there's no washings at all going on. What? You guys are eating pig out there on the street and chorizo. Well, like, hey, hey, okay, we just have to have a number of messages right away, right? Of, of things that are wrong here in Antioch. I'm so glad I came. Huh. Well, what would you do without me? But that's not what he did. He looked past the dietary problems. He looked past the traditions that were not happening. And he saw there's a lot of people here following Jesus. That is awesome. Praise God. And that leads to the second thing that he did. But before I go to that, I want to ask you, are you witnessing God at work in Boulevard Bible Chapel or are you witnessing the problems? Phil, I used to teach at um, Dallas Theological uh, Seminary. I lost his name, but it'll come back to me. But um, he's a very motivational speaker and he used to say, any idiot can see the problems. (laughs) But what, what are you seeing that's good? What are you seeing that God's doing that you can encourage each other with? What are you seeing at Boulevard Bible Chapel? Howard Hendricks, that was the guy I'm trying to think of. Mr. Hall, he watched me get out and he saw something good and he praised me. That was Amazing. That was amazing to me as somebody who looked up and respected Mr. Hall. He's the last guy I wanted to get out in front of. It's amazing that he turned that around and witnessed grace in that situation. What's happening in Boulevard Bible Chapel? What's God doing? Well, I've just been here a couple of days, but I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things that God's doing. You just hosted a successful soccer outreach last night, and it was awesome. I was there. I couldn't believe how many people, and Andrea said it's like a, a small number came out. It was a small group, but there were at least 30 guys, and, and they some of them brought their wives. And uh, I got to preach the gospel. Somebody else preached the gospel. There was applause. I've never heard applause after an open-air presentation, I don't think, in my life. You don't hear that in California. You hear some other things after an open-air presentation in California, but you don't hear applause. It means that people are doesn't mean like they're believers, but it means that they're respecting the word of God. They're they there. They're listening and uh, they give it their due. I met a guy from Honduras. I worked in Honduras. My, my family was there for a year before we went to Nicaragua and we're chatting on the field. We're having a great conversation and then we're playing a little bit and then chatting. It's nice to I always pick the goalie so you don't have to run too much and you can talk to people. Met his wife. He brought his kids. He's only been here seven seven weeks. What an open door for the gospel. Wow. I met this amazing family of African-American kids who chatted up with me before uh, before the game started. And I found out that they've all been to Boulevard Gospel Chapel and heard the gospel. I said, wow. God is working at this place. Praise God. I heard good reports about you, all fifteen of you. No, I know there's more that aren't here, but you know God can do so much just with this group right here. It's amazing, and He is, and 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 I I know that He's working. And I just want to, I just want you to look at it and say, "Yeah, that's exciting." I uh, number some things that He's doing. Y'all are about to host, uh, be the first Christian presence at a book fair. Wow, that's exciting. That's awesome. You have a great list of, of people that you're praying for evangelistically. A lot of chapels are about to close the door and they're like, hey, forget evangelism. We just got to take care of our own. We're, we're dying here. and That's why they're dying because <laughs> they forgot about evangelism. They forgot about church planning, but you haven't. That's exciting. I see God working. What's the second thing he did? Anybody? I said it already. He rejoiced, right? He witnessed, and then he rejoiced. I just gave a a whole seminar, a whole talk at Camp Horizon about worship. And, you know, if you're not worshiping God, you're going to burn out. Worship is the best burnout preventer that I know. Because with worship, you're focusing, you're locking in on God. You're locking in on the source of your joy, On the source of your love, on the source of the love that you can use to love others, like the like the people around here. If you're just locked in on yourself, you're just gonna go down and down and down. But you gotta look up and worship. And what do you worship about? The grace of God that you're witnessing, right? Half of worship is giving thanks. Thank you for that list of of people that we're praying for. Thank you for what you did last night on the soccer field. Thank you for what you're going to do at the book fair. Thank you for the people that came tonight. Thank you for Camp Horizon. There's so many things to thank God for, but you have to witness the 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 grace of God first. Each thing on this list, you got to do the first thing before you can do the second thing. You can't rejoice unless you're witnessing the grace of God. What did Jesus say? Um... Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day. Um, So he starts worshiping, right? He starts telling God who he is. He's separate. He's holy. He's sanctified. Worship. Worship. Witness what he's doing and then worship as a a result. Psalms is a great place. We spent uh, our... Our Bible chapel spent a summer just looking at different psalms. It was wonderful. It's a great place to go to get fuel for worship. What God's doing around you is another great place to go to get fuel for worship. Why do we need to be reminded to rejoice? Because our default is to complain. Our default is to see problems and complain about them. Look at the Israelites. The Israelites witnessed the greatest miracles going on at that time as they were in Egypt. And they witnessed their deliverance by God from Egypt to the promised land. And the last miracle led to the um, armies chasing the Israelites across the Red Sea. They witnessed the Red Sea party. They witnessed God annihilating their enemies as it <clears throat> came back together. And three days later, what were they doing? Worshiping God for this great miracle? No, they were complaining because they didn't have anything to eat or drink in the desert. They were saying things like, huh, you brought us here to die? Like, wow. I think we're pretty good Israelites in that respect. We, we can forget pretty quickly what God did yesterday at the soccer tournament, and we can start complaining about what we don't see him doing today. Okay. So what's, what are the first two things we want to do if we want to be like a Barnabas? And I hope you do by now. You want to witness the grace of God and you want to rejoice. And then we can do the third thing. He rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Now we're getting to something that's going to affect your body in a big way. Your assembly here. Encouraging one another, notes of encouragement, phone calls, thanks, hey, how you doing? Does that come naturally? Did it come naturally to Barnabas? I don't think it did because it said with purpose of heart, with resolute heart. That means he had this on his to-do list. He was intentional about encouraging people. He witnessed the grace of God. He rejoiced. And now he said, now I'm going to lift up this group and help them rejoice with me and tell them what's going on. You guys are the first Gentiles to come to the Lord in known history. <laughs> you got to be happy about that. You ought to be happy about what he's doing here. And you need to keep following the Lord. It's hard. I know you're getting a lot of flack from your families and your friends, but you need to keep Being true to the Lord. He is faithful. He is true. He's got your back. He's going to take care of you. And he encouraged them. Are you an intentional encourager? When was the last time that you wrote a note? Or called somebody up and said, hey, that was a good job last Sunday. That was a good devotion that you gave. I appreciate what you shared at the breaking of bread Thank you, sister, for taking care of the kids in the back. It is a thankless job, but I'm here to say thank you, because those, some of those are my kids, and I know what it's like to take care of them. Thanks for all the work you're doing, Andreas. Taking care of the property here—it looks great. Do you do that? Do you think about it? I'm seeing some nodding heads—that's good. Praise the Lord. Thanks for teaching Sunday school. Thanks for serving coffee. Thanks for your faithful work in the prison ministry or children's ministry, whatever ministries you have. Why aren't we encouraging more? Maybe because it's we're, because we're seeing problems instead of God's work. And maybe it's because we're complaining instead of rejoicing. So we've got to ask God, God, what are you doing that I can give you thanks for? Well... I'm alive and praying. Thank you for the for the air in my lungs. Thanks for keeping this amazingly complicated body going. Thank you for whatever health I have today. And what are you doing at Boulevard Bible Chapel? That's right. Thank you. I want to rejoice. Now let's look at the results of effective encouragement. Verses 24 and 25. It says, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. That's the first result. Considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. When a a healthy assembly is functioning and the Spirit of God is here and we're encouraging each other, it's, it's contagious. It's contagious. And people are like, wow, I want to be a part of that. When we lived in Central Asia, so... I didn't tell you, we were uh, workers in Central America first, in Honduras and Nicaragua, and then Central Asia. And when we were in Central Asia, uh, I, taught, I taught English. My wife and I taught English. Our kids were part of an MK school. And whenever that school had an activity, like a concert or a play or some kind of production, I invited all of my English students, all of my non-believing English students to come. And say, hey, this is an English-speaking school. It's a chance for you to practice your English and watch a play in English. Come. Why? Because I, I wanted them to improve their English so much? No. <laughs> I mean, I taught them English, so they were working. But I wanted them to see believers working together in unity. Because that is infectious. Because I want them to come to the Lord. And that's why it's a good thing to invite kids or people to your Bible chapel because hopefully you're, you you seem like a functional family. There's a little dysfunction in all of us, but seem like things are going well here, well enough to invite people and say, hey, people here are really loving each other. We had a family that came to our chapel, and um, they were the relatives of, of a man who had come to Christ, and we're very thankful for him. His name is Jim. And we started praying for this family. And we we uh, some people brought them to Yosemite Bible Conference, where just a lot of believers are getting together and listening to the word. And they were just rocked. They had their socks knocked off, seeing the grace of God at work in this community of believers that they were living among, right? Because it's like a weak conference. So that's what we want to be. And when we encourage each other, people should be coming to the Lord. That's the first result. I want to see this, and I'm praying, I'm praying for our assemblies that th- that there's revival. There's a reason that people like me and Nate Bramson and-, and Micah Tuttle are all back in the U.S. Do you know what it is? Our assemblies are dying. I hate to break that to you. Not this one, I hope. It sounds like it's not. But in general, our assemblies are dying in North America. And missionaries are being called back from the field Like my elders said, we need some help here, Dave. We need some help with evangelism. Micah, Nate, they were all told, hey, we could use you here. I know you're out there, but we could use you here. And that's why we're here. And God's working. But we need to have a little urgency, moment of urgency in Christ and say, God, send revival. Help us. Because as as a nation, as, as this country, we're dying. Do what you have to do. And move in us so that your, your body in, in our circles will be growing and not diminishing. So here's the last thing that you can do. Let's remember the first three things. You can witness the grace of God. You can rejoice. rejoice and you can encourage each other with resolute heart. Be intentional about it. Look at this last thing. This last thing is like the shortest, one of the shortest verses in the New Testament. But it's it revolutionizes the book of Acts. Verse 25. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. It's like eight words. But it changed. The history of the church, because where was Saul? He was in Tarsus. If you remember, Saul got converted and he started trying to preach and people were just starting to try to kill him, right? It wasn't a very um, peaceful time for the believers, wherever Saul was. First of all, he was trying to kill people, and people were trying to kill him. It's like if you knew somebody from ISIS that just got saved, and he wants to preach at your, ca- your chapel. You're like, oh, well, I don't know. I'll get back to you. Thanks, you know, because he might have a bomb or something. And, and that's like Saul it was just like a walking time bomb everywhere he went. And then they're like, hey, thank you, brother. And they sent him back to Tarsus, and it said, and there was peace. <laughs> and there was peace when Saul left. So he goes back to his job and his little house, and he's making tents. And he's like, what in the world just happened? I got saved, and I started preaching, and now I'm all by myself. Some people, if you look at the chronology, think it was like eight years that he was there in Tarsus. And nobody's going and nobody is looking for Saul because all the people saw in Saul are trouble, 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 trouble. And it starts with an S and it's Saul. But Barnabas saw something else. Remember, Barnabas was the guy that introduced Saul to the apostles. He's like, this is a good guy. God's working here. You should you guys should hook up. You guys should get together. But nobody went after Saul. Barnabas has this huge, successful church in Antioch. Why does he need to share that with anybody, right? He could be just this famous Antioch pastor. But Barnabas knew it wasn't about Barnabas. It was about God's church. And he knew that God was working in this man Saul. So he went and got him, and he brought him to Antioch, and they worked together for a year. And that was... Saul, who became Paul, that was his ministry experience. That was his training. That was his discipleship, along with the Lord Jesus speaking to him while he's wandering around Arabia and other things. But that was his first time to work with somebody and work in a church environment and get that exposure. And then, chapter 13, that's where the gospel goes to the world through Barnabas and Saul. And then it becomes Saul-Paul. Barnabas and Paul, and then it becomes Paul and Barnabas, and then it becomes Paul. And the rest of the book is about Paul taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I don't think Barnabas minded at all not being in the limelight because he was always behind the scenes encouraging others. That's what he did. And what happened as a result to the church in Antioch through one guy who was sold out to the Lord? It became the church that changed the world. It wasn't the church in Jerusalem that that Paul was commended from. It was the church of Antioch, this church of Gentile dogs. They are the church that changed the world. Do you want to be the church that changed the world? Then go out and find us all. They're out there. God's working. But you got to go find them. Well, it's 8 o'clock. I appreciate so much being with you this short hour at Boulevard Bible Chapel. I'll be praying for you. And I want you to remember, if anybody ever asked you if you heard Dave Reeve, I want you to remember that he talked about Barnabas. And I want you to start witnessing the grace of God in your church and in the assemblies, you know, out to Camp Horizon and start rejoicing about that and start encouraging each other and keep looking for your souls. Father God, we just praise you, and thank you so much for our time together. I thank you for that you are working here, and I just ask God that you would help us to encourage each other to love and good deeds, because we know you're coming back, and we want to just be so excited when that happens. We want to be found working in your harvest fields. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.